0: You have to unmute yourself, Nat. Is that better? Good afternoon, Nat. How are you?
1: I am well, thank you. I was just reading um, some inspiring poetry by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. You have to be in a certain mindset to get that stuff. Okay. <laughs> highly recommend it
0: you've got your winter coat on what's the temperature
1: oh it's it's mild it's only uh 54 degrees it's okay. uh temperate, temperate. Okay. we look so lovely
0: we have earrings <laughs>
1: eye makeup
0: i oh i didn't do that eye makeup yeah, i didn't
1: do it yet. it's easier for you see for me when you have a few wrinkles it's you don't know if you should open it and do it or (laughs) go over a wrinkle that's tricky
0: (laughs) well i i am glad that um to spend some time with you again and today we are recording Uh Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and um you know the idea of this chat is to just share knowledge and talk about really your experiences, you have a lot to share. And I'm really- Wait, enjoyed... why aren't
1: we both sharing our experience? We are,
0: we are, but, but you know, you're, you're the mentor and everyone listening is a mentee, I suppose. Oh.
1: So. <laughs> All of you are so neat and I can't, you know, I heard what people said the other day, but it's hard to picture myself in that
0: role. So you uh, you you have a lot of wisdom and um, just getting some information out to create conversations and discuss and this this is part of the W fencing initiative. Um, I know that you have been active and and uh, participated in some of the meetings. Uh, what made you decide to to be recorded? Is it is it the W fencing initiative? Is, it, what's, why, why are you here? And you can't blame me.
1: <laughs> well, it's largely in your lap, but a little bit. It was a conversation with my very bright granddaughter who um, is at Cal Poly right now. And she had an assignment to record a presentation. It's a private presentation. And she has spoken before national groups, she's very active politically, and she was all of a sudden a nervous wreck to do this. So we talked about how you can insert yourself into this process. And we talked about not thinking about the recording, which I just realized you're already recording, aren't you? and we tried to picture the group we would normally be speaking with. So it was the Yikes uh, Koriuchit phenomenon, the egg teaches the chicken. So in listening to her, I thought, oh, maybe I'll just focus on looking at you and pretending there is a group here. And um, as we talk, I'll just express some thoughts that I've entertained over some time.
0: And the egg... End- teaches the chicken. So that's the theme for our talk today. And um, uh, explain to us where you first heard about the egg teaches the chicken.
1: From my grandmother who um, migrated from Russia and um, had a lot of Russian phrases in addition to all the Yiddish she spoke. And I found it very true, especially as I got older, that there were certain ideas that I had but my students very often had some kind of um, take on it that I hadn't thought about. And it, there was a wisdom that just came from the different side of the experience that we were sharing.
0: And when you were coaching, when did you think of what your grandmother had said? Did it, when did you start to uh, acknowledge that wisdom?
1: It probably came uh, various times when a student would say something or have an observation about an action that we were doing that hadn't really occurred to me, or the student felt a particular way about an action that we were engaged in. And uh, because I was a different person, it really didn't matter that this was an intergenerational relationship. The student was younger than I. Um, It was just that student's viewpoint or that student's reaction to something. And it didn't matter. The student was probably decades younger than I. And so I just remembered some of those things and uh, incorporated them into my thinking and what I did. But mostly it, uh, it spurred me on to pay a lot of attention to the students and not just think of them as receptacles. It was on. Um, And it was an interaction. We both had something to offer the situation.
0: In my own coaching development, and as I feel, first of all, really fortunate when uh, a student says, let's work together. Let's see how far we can go. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like first that's an honor, but the student is teaching me how to train them when I go to a tournament with them. Uh, Do you have any thoughts or reflections about how how they're teaching you as they develop as an athlete, from either the beginner, intermediate, to the elite stage of development?
1: Well, one of the things has been, which is something I had thought about well before during my school days, that we tend to separate information. Uh, I went to a college where the one building on campus was devoted to uh, what's now called STEM studies. And another one where we learned about philosophy and comparative literature and so on. And I thought there's much more integration to these studies than we often think about. And so I was giving a lesson to a student and we were talking about the alignment of the body as you make the final action of an attack. And I said, You have too many movements, and so all the force is dissipated. And um, you need to just corral all the force that you're generating into that final action and hit with some energy. And he said, You know, this is the first time that I really understood. Um, now, of course, I'm going to forget the word, but it's um, force production. And I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute. Um, and it's, it's, way, it's, it's the difference between um, speed and velocity. And so you have to narrow the amount of direction in which you move into the final action. So everything has to be um, just uh, finite and it has to all be concentrated into one directional, a unidirectional movement. And um, I thought how neat that he understood some physics through uh, his body that making this movement and getting rid of all the extraneous actions finally got him to make a better attack. And it wasn't physics, it wasn't fencing, it was a specific movement. And they weren't separate from each other, they were all the same thing.
0: And what did that teach you? It
1: taught me to look at actions more frequently from different perspectives and to not segregate information. Many of my students have been involved in music. And there are so many analogies in music to what we do in fencing. And a lot of it has to do with the quality of the movement, not just making a specific movement, but paying attention to the quality of it. So if you engage a blade, it's not just my blade touching your blade. the feeling of it. Is it a sudden action? Is it a staccato action? We come right off the blade. Do you linger? When you linger, do you pressure the blade a little bit? What is your next movement going to be? So how does this movement, the engagement, act as a precursor into what it is you're going to be doing? So if you want the person to parry you, when you pressure the blade and then extend, then maybe you should pressure it not softly, just a little pressure, and then all of a sudden change tempo. Well, that's what we do in music. And so using that as analogy makes the student very comfortable because he or she plays an instrument, two instruments. And so it means something to them. They can translate from one experience to the other. Oh, the other word I was looking for were vectors. So-
0: <laughs> I was thinking it was vector, but I wasn't sure.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. so, in the end, you want a, a vector because it's a, you need directional action.
0: When, when you're working with uh, students, um, when I, I think back to when I was first coaching, I had to learn how this athlete or young student, because they turn into athletes. I think when you start, often they're not athletes, but how, how do they teach you their best learning style? Like what cues are you looking for in a person about how you're going to get them to retain the information that you're giving them?
1: Well, I think everybody learns a little bit differently. And it wasn't always a matter of how intelligent they were. Most of them were pretty good students. Um, But sometimes they would just tell you. I had a student who wound up at Stanford and he's now a a member of uh, the judiciary in the federal government. And he once said to me, don't tell me all this stuff because I don't hear anything you're saying. He said, just show it to me. So he has a really bright kid who doesn't want a lot of verbalization. He just needed to mimic me. So I showed him an action, he duplicated it, and he wound up on five world championship teams and lots of gold medals. And so he was very bright and he was a very good fencer. He was a fun fencer, but he learned without speech. We didn't talk. Others had to have a detailed analysis of something to the point where it made me crazy discussing this thing and I thought, just do it. But none of needed to have analogies and descriptions. And so some of it, you just notice that when you present something one way, they're more apt to pick it up quickly. And sometimes you just ask them. This first kid was also a very good skier and soccer player. And so I think he learned all those skills pretty much the same way.
0: Kinesthetically.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm of course reflecting upon my own teaching experience. And there's a saying uh, the ones hardest to love are the ones that need it the most. Uh, can you describe? without identifying who they were, a difficult student in which they forced you to work through some of your stuff so that they could uh, they could gain and grow uh, as, I'm guessing not just a fencer, but as a person.
1: Well, I, over the years and many of my students I started working with when they were eight and then they went to college and many of the college coaches were wonderful. They allowed me or asked me to coach my students at Max, even though they were there. So this relationship was ongoing and I know many of these students for years, they're still in my life. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're asking me about my student or myself. Are Yourself? you- Yourself? <laughs> oh, because real, we're talking real, about
0: the, how does the egg teach the chicken? So uh, you're the chicken here. <laughs> how, how did uh, some difficult moments impact your coaching development? Because um, all of us have had difficult athletes that we've worked with where we've tried multiple uh, ways to uh, get them to retain information, either in a group or in an individual setting. Do you have a story of where you just stuck through uh, working with a, a student or athlete uh, or advice around encouraging those coaches to, to keep finding different ways uh, to connect.
1: I probably have to spend some time thinking about this, but one story that comes to mind is a student who I previously worked with somebody else and the coach was wonderful, but um, yeah, was some problems. And uh, I then began working with the student, who is very talented and very accomplished. And one day, we were working on a lesson and doing a drill. And I made an action and expected not anything in particular in response, but I expected the student would hit me. Um, She was a much better fencer than I ever was. And the student stopped, and I said, why are you stopping? And she said, oh, well, I wasn't sure what you wanted me to do. And I said, well, this game is all about you hitting me and beating me to the action. And you know you're good enough to do that. Because right now, the playing field is open. You could use anything. And she said, but I thought I was supposed to do a specific action. And we stopped and talked about that. And there were some things in this person's background that led her to think that the game had to be in a way very static. These were the actions I was expected to do, from her point of view, she was expected to do. And even though it were, she made a beautiful action and hit me, that wouldn't be sufficient because it wasn't the action I was looking for. And so it led us to conversations about how we enter the world in general. Do we always do what somebody else expects of us? Or do we arrive at a good conclusion our own way? Because we're different. And we have different ways of looking at situations and different needs that we bring. And... So I said to her, just any action. So I, I set up the action again. And of course, she killed me. But um, it was another one of those little tidbits that follows you, I think, in coaching. And they're little vignettes that you carry with yourself. And, um, you know, I can remember this particular student, but some of these incidents I don't particularly remember. To whom to tag with this, but um, but I remember the situation.
0: No, I, th- I think that that is uh, an interesting reflection um, on a, a dominant coaching style too. Uh, I have also heard coaches, you know, say, you know, this is what I want now, or this, you know, that it, it's about what they want the athlete to do versus teaching the athlete to create and have a various awareness of a choice of responses. Um, I think this is a fine line because we're teaching um, pattern, patterns, reflections, but there's a choice and they're very subtle cues that a coach gives. And of course we want our students to react to these cues in different ways, whether it's attack and preparation or moving across the distance or a second intention action versus a first intention action. So your reflection um, has drawn an inquiry question. How do you how do you differentiate in your lessons? What are the actions that are like basic that you feel like a student? who is in front of me should react these various ways versus this choice of just hitting, as you say. Is, that, is, that a, is there a primal differentiation there? Is it, is it a fighting component of our sport? How would you identify that? I think
1: it's, um, it's a complexity of factors because one of the things I think most of us do is uh, give cueing lessons you make a certain action the student responds and it might be warm up drill or a closing drill. And there are certain things that are expected, but you might give a cue to a student and it's usually not just in isolation that I might go to engage the blade, but do I step forward? Do I back up as I reach for your blade? Do I do it at a ferocious speed? Do I do it quietly? And so even though in all those situations I'm engaging the blade, there are nuances to the way I engage the blade. And depending on the nuance and the fencer's personality, there might be very different kinds of reactions. And I think one of the nicest things some of my colleagues have said to me over the years is, none of your students seem to look alike. And I was pleased because they're all so different and their personalities are different, so they approach the game differently. And some of them, because of things in their background, going back to your other question, um, are, might be a little hesitant. And and as much as we know about the neurology of um, responding to a single stimulus or a compound stimulus, and how much time delay there is if you only have one stimulus or two stimuli. um, The idea is to get the person to shorten that reaction time as much as possible. So I try not to intrude on their natural tendencies. Now sure there are certain things you should do if somebody's attacking you unless you've mastered some really nice skanky sperm reactions and respond to that and that's great then you should Practice those, but then maybe ship Harry, unless you're an Epe fencer. But um, so there are certain standard ex- expectations we have, and I think it goes back to the original way we address our students. Maybe we need to give them a vocabulary, the way we give kindergartners a language vocabulary, because without the vocabulary, how do you express yourself? So you might feel something, but how do you express it if you don't have words? Well, if you learn some specific techniques in fencing, then you could determine if you really like attacking a lot or you rather provoke an attack or you rather attack and then make it a false attack and do something in response to that. But you still have to have the equipment, that they, the, the moves to be able to execute and execute well. So yeah, there's that boring part. It's like eating spinach. Um, make a parry for repost. Oh, That's an ugly parry for move your elbow, move your hand this way. Um, so yeah, they have to work through it. And you can make little games about it. But um, if you do that regularly, I'll have a nice parry for or head Uh, or cream parry and saber and a nice head cut. So yeah, you want them to be able to execute nicely. They should be good technicians, but there are people who have won world championships, done well in the Olympics, and they're not so pretty, but it's not gymnastics. You don't get graded on how pretty it is. They hit, and I think it's that gut level desire. I just so want to hit you. And we have to encourage that. So maybe if they make a sort of ugly action, but they can duplicate that it has to be consistent, then they can really develop it into a, a good tactic that's workable. Have Don't you me? noticed
0: uh, when y- you might have a, I'll call it scrappier athlete and they're winning, you, how other coaches will be like, yeah, but look at their footwork. <laughs> have you noticed? Oh, yeah. These... <laughs> You know, and the coaches are trying to make themselves feel better, but at least mine all look good.
1: (laughs) Beautiful, but there are different Brooklyn ways to express that. But since we're recording it, I won't express them.
0: (laughs) The the last time we spoke, um, we began discussing the difference between. transactional coaching and transformative coaching and you
1: were like what's that <laughs> and I'm still remembering I didn't do my homework and write it down and remember it so way formative and transactional and uh, which one is which
0: I'm a yeah. terrible student transactional is um it's like you order a cup of coffee, you get your cup of coffee, and that and that's it. There's just a simple, you you exchange, and it's, I would define it in fencing terms as a very, a highly technical lesson. You're coming for one particular piece of service, or you're hiring a strip coach, and you're, this is a transaction uh, that is occurring. Um, transformative coaching is where the athlete and the coach have a relationship in which there is is more complex. And this is something that we're redefining our boundaries on quite frankly, um, as the professionalization of our sport comes to terms because a lot of coaches, like you said, they become friends with their students. Mm Um, but there has to be boundaries that exist mm-hmm. to differentiate the, the the professionalization. And often when these boundaries get blurred is when um, it's a ripe right for an abuse setting. So we, you know, our rules based on safe sport are very different from the rules you and I um, had as athletes and coaches uh, not too long ago. Um, so how... My first question is, do you think that this is going to impact the transformative type coaching relationships? Um, I think a lot of coaches might have, uh, I think a lot of coaches are scared, first of all, that they're going to do something wrong. and uh, There's probably uh, a lot of coaches that are worried that their relationship that they've established with their athlete um, might have broken some of these past boundaries. And so how do we move, how do we move forward? And, and what is the ideal type of transformative coaching relationship uh, that is safe and healthy?
1: I think one of them uh, comes about for the transformative style, uh, comes about through conversation because that allows us to know something about each other. So if I have a student who is a drummer, which I did. And um, we've talked about drumming, we've talked about rhythms, and we've talked about uh, paradiddles on drums. Then I have a frame of reference with him, and he's comfortable with me because I know what else he does. And we talk about it, and it's part of both of our lives. And so then, a little example this guy was um, fencing and losing to somebody he should never have lost to. and a little piece of me wanted to just shake him but he came off the strip and i said look you know you have another three minutes and you're playing a bunch of baroque music out there it's all very rhythmic it's all the same and i said uh, you know how about a little jazz I said, mix it up a little. It's boring, even though I love Baroque music. And he said, oh, it was like light bulbs went off and the other guy never scored another touch and he wasn't about. So it had nothing really to do with fencing, but had everything to do with fencing because at that moment, that element of this game was no different from drumming. So I think if we get to know our students and they get to know us, On a similar field, you know, we might have read um, Dante's Inferno, which one of my students discussed with me one day, or um, uh, one day, one of my students, I gave him a moment break to breathe. um, We wound up talking for a minute about the Fibonacci in sequence. So there were ways in which we could connect with each other. They're not physical, there's not anything untoward about it, but we've entered each other's lives beyond fencing. And so there's a comfort that we have with each other. And so I'll, many times the relationship developed more because their parents became friends of uh, my wife's and mine, and we would visit each other's homes, the kids would be there, but um, it moved into fencing because it was a comfort level when we took a lesson. I could see it. For, on a particular day, the, the kid was upset about something. And I had a sense whether I should pursue it or not pursue it. And there was a time once when just this wonderful, sweet guy broke, he, he was just nasty to everybody. It was not this guy who was on, on the floor. And I saw once from the office and I joined him a few minutes later, and he just sobbed. And I just kept handing him tissues. But I knew enough about his background to know exactly why he was crying. I didn't have to discuss it with him. And he knew I knew it. And so we just sat there for a while and went back out on the floor and things were better. So I think we can insinuate ourselves in each other's life, the students and the coaches, without sharing inappropriate things. I don't have to talk about the past of my life in ways that um, a young kid doesn't have to know about. But certainly things that we've thought about, studied, experiences we've had, it brings us a connection. And that makes it easier, I think, for them to coach where the kid will say, oh, I remember when I did this and I remember I told you about that. And yes, you had. so." That's on a verbal level. The physical level has changed a little. I used to put a hand on a kid's shoulder and move his hand. And it was easy because there it is. memorized that feeling. Now I'll tap on their guard or verbalize. Get your guard moved horizontally so many degrees. You know, it's a pain in the neck. And I don't mean neck, but um, it's where we are. And so there's an abundance of caution now. And thinking back, there are probably some conversations that students have had where they've shared, oh, my girlfriend I took to this dance, kiss my other friend, and I don't want to tell my parents because I want them to like her. And then they go a little deeper. And the rule is, if you tell me things, I won't share them. Unless they're going to impact you badly, and then I will talk to parents. So you have to draw the line somewhere. Um, but I think if you're an aware human being and you care about that kid, and the most important part is the kid's well being and safety, then um, I think you monitor yourself pretty well.
0: Nat this has been fantastic. And, um, I hope that we will have more conversations. Um, when this goes out, people are going to have questions and they're going to, they're going to want to hear you talk about other stuff. And so, um, in your last moment, when you're talking about the relationship of the coach, I felt trust this, this feeling of trust, And um, this feeling that I had just in you talking about it just shows what an extraordinary coach you have been over the decades. Thank you. And um, I think we are all honored to hear you speak. And I look forward to hearing
1: more. Thank you very much, Jen. I appreciate that.